Hey everyone, welcome. We've got a good one here, folks. This is the second half of our conversation about the crisis of authority in our culture, and one of the main points we make is about the connection between authority and responsibility. Forget about restoring authority and start taking responsibility for those around you. My guests today are pastors Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. I want to say one other thing about this issue of authority that's so helpful. Yeah. If you're going to talk about authority, you have to realize what authority is. Mm. All right. What is authority? Well, when I first came to Bloomington, I called the two previous pastors that had served the church I was in, which was absolutely in shambles. They'd lost hundreds of people in the previous couple of years, and they just fought like cats and dogs. So I called them up to find out what advice, because I knew I was in a tough situation. Mm-hmm. The, the pat, My immediate predecessor said to me, he was quiet for a second, I'd never met him, and he said, Tim, when I was the pastor there, I had all of the responsibility and none of the authority. Mm-hmm. Very interesting statement. Of course, that's exactly what I found. I was blamed for everything, but I could not command anything. Nothing. Okay. I had no authority. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Authority is the ability to implement what you believe you should to protect the responsibility that you have. Hmm. Okay? And so God delegates responsibility and with that comes the authority to take carry that out yeah carry out the and so if people listening are uncomfortable with so much discussion of authority would you just please think of it as responsibility for others Mm -hmm. and authority is the ability to give commands to take action i mean you know one of the things that is said commonly is that authority naturally flows to those who take responsibility mm-hmm. you know so it's almost like well there is this vacuum of a thought of, of of taking responsibility for your family and so yeah it goes to something else and in our case it's the government through subsidies or, or whatever tax incentives but that that concept i think holds generally that authority does flow to those who take responsibility and it goes both ways And we have to remember that if we are going to just simply be typical Americans, you know, if you listen or read uh, The Life of Johnson by Boswell, Mm -hmm. it's a recurrent theme, him being a Scot, you know, uh, Boswell, Johnson being, you know, a Whig. He's always talking about the rebelliousness that's at the heart of the Americans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's deep in our psyche. We don't, we don't trust authority. Yeah. I feel like in this regard that we're just really upstream from, I mean, we've been on this rebellion kick, I suppose, since the Garden of Eden. But in the Western world, you know, you're talking French Revolution, late 1700s on, And so what we have to do with our children, with the people in our church, with the citizens of our country, is we have to teach them that God put Adam at the head of the, he was the federal head. Mm. And he had authority over every single descendant that would ever be born. Mm. And he sinned. 
Mm-hmm. And when he sinned that one sin, he corrupted the entire race. Everybody's going to see that in Scripture. You can't escape it. No, yeah. And then you just begin to talk about whatever spheres we have, whether we own a business, whether mm-hmm. we're a teacher, a professor, whether we're a pastor, an elder, whether we're an older woman in mm-hmm. the church, Titus too, yeah. whether we're a mother. I teach children like your daughter you know she's talking disrespectfully to her younger brother Mm. in my car one day and i said to her brie do not talk to your brother that way you are a girl and it is wrong for you to demean him as a woman Hmm. you know he was wrong Mm -hmm. but she was treating him like Mm -hmm. like he was stupid like Mm -hmm. he was you know and he was so what we really have to do is we have to realize that God has ordained authority. Mm. And the minute you say that, everybody has a hissy fit. So, Tim, you started from Adam in the Garden of Eden, and that's big picture stuff. And, Max, I want to ask you, when you're teaching a young man in the church about these concepts, when you're trying to open up to him, I mean, a young man gets married and he doesn't know the first thing about authority. Maybe it wasn't modeled. Maybe his parents are divorced. Uh, what are you trying to get him to see? Today, I, I believe that the biggest issue to start with is just responsibility. Hmm. I think lots of people are ready to have authority. I mean, if you just said, hey, do you want to be the leader or do you want to be the follower? Hmm. Everybody'd say, well, hey, that's an easy one. I want to be the leader. Bring me a beer. Well, okay. If you're the leader, then that means this. And then they put this pack on your back. Mm. And the pack is the burden of the responsibility of being the leader. And a young man, if you said, who's about to get married, is that what you mm. said, Lucas? Yep, yep. A young man who's about to get married, you look at him and you say, this is the pack you're putting on your back. Now, this pack means, what does it mean? Because I think people, wives, children, people around us, we ourselves recognize when somebody takes responsibility. Mm, yeah. We all we all cue to responsibility. The only people who don't cue when somebody's taking responsibility within the, their lives are rebellious people. Mm-hmm. And often they've been abused and, by their father. And often that's the case, or right? Mother. So you say to him, all right, well, what do you have, to, what does it mean now that you have this burden of responsibility on your back? What is it going to look like for you? Well, it's going to look like if you're a young man who's about to marry, it's going to look like that some things in your life are going to get uncomfortable. Some things are going to go away. Some things are going to get relegated, deeply relegated. And let's just take one thing. Let's just say your uh, personal pleasures of your video game you play, mm-hmm. right? Just one thing. And up until this time, that young man has been able to take all of his free time and give himself as much as he wanted to playing his favorite video game mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is, right? And suddenly he has responsibility. He has a home. He has a wife. He has uh, a whole new world. Pretty soon, God may give them a child. And he has a whole new world of provision that he's supposed to make and a whole new leadership he's supposed to bring. And, oh, wait a minute. How am I going to have that work get done and at the same time get my video game time in? 
I got to get my video game time in. Mm. And you know when he makes his choice, if he chooses for the video game time, you know what's going to happen to that marriage. Mm-hmm. You know what's going to happen to those children if God gives them children. It's going to be destruction. Mm-hmm. And you also know that if he dies to the video game and he gives himself to affection mm-hmm. and love and discipline and care for his children and love and care for his wife and the provision of his home and he leads them the way he's supposed to, you're going to see a happy family. Mm-hmm. It's, just a, it's just a very basic kind of thing. You're going to see a happy family. But he's and he is going to have authority. But you know, I'm listening through people's ears, and I think when they listen to you, they're going to think, "Well, yeah, this is what makes a good home, good marriage. This is what helps children to grow up to be healthy, make good choices." Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to reduce what you're saying to simply your best techniques and oh, yeah. checklists and. And what I'm worried about is that people won't realize what is responsibility. What is it? What is it? In one sense, it's faith. But what is it? What is responsibility? It is, it is loving someone. It is It love. is loving God. If you love God, you obey him. If you love your wife, you do the things toward her that you're responsible to do toward her. I mean, there is love in it. It is it, it just there. When I first came to Bloomington, there was a PhD in psychology who was very angry at my teaching about the nature of male authority and responsibility. He wrote me a long letter. In that letter, he said to me, Jesus is not the head of the church. Jesus is the servant of the church. Jesus' headship over the church is servant leadership. Jesus did not give the officers of the church authority. Jesus shares authority with the leaders of the church. Hmm. So I thought a lot about that. He was sophisticated. Mm -hmm. I gave my brain to it. And all of a sudden I realized, what's the difference between God delegating authority to the elder of a church and God sharing authority? Well, the difference is that you are responsible to God for the authority he delegates to you and Mm -hmm. the people that he delegates it to you to protect. Mm -hmm. So what I want to say is responsibility always has two directions Mm -hmm. it is delegated and it is observed it it is delegated for a purpose you are responsible for the well-being of the people that you are responsible for i mean that sounds so stupid to say yeah of course i'm responsible for the people i'm responsible you will answer for you will answer to god you will answer to god for what your husband does to your daughters okay And this is a lot of our life in the ministry, what I just said, Mm. okay? You are responsible to God for providing for your family so that your wife can give herself to being the mother that God made her. Mm. You are responsible to serve the church in every gift God's given you, okay? Because if you don't, everybody else in the church suffers because you will not cut grass, because you will not move chairs, because you will not give your money, okay? In other words, let's be real clear that responsibility means we answer to God. Mm -hmm. The king will answer to God. The master will answer to God. This whole point of Ephesians 5, Mm -hmm. you know? And so until we realize that whether or not we recognize we have responsibility while we're playing the video game, 
will not make one difference in how God will hold us accountable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then, when we bring up authority, well, then people can be a little bit more chilled out about it because they realize, well, the poor sucker is responsible. Let's let's help him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, let's let's maybe submit to him one out of every ten requests he makes of us, <laughs> as long as the request is made in a sort of servanty leadership kind of way. So I'm thinking about the person listening to this, and obviously there's been a lot of talk about authority in these last few years with COVID and submission versus rebellion and where the distinction lies. Everyone agrees there's a crisis of authority. My question is, okay, what are we supposed to do about that? Uh, because I, and, and one, one group of people say what we're supposed to do about that is raise the flag of our positions whatever they are, and get loud, maybe go to protests. What are we supposed to do about it? I don't think there's any way to address the crisis of authority politically. I know people think that if we can just get the magistrates to do this, do that, and do the other thing, if we can get one more guy on the Supreme Court, but now we've seen that our wildest dreams were surpassed by Alito's opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. But anybody that's watched that closely has realized that it doesn't come anywhere near restoring the protection of life, Mm. even if that exact opinion is passed, all right, when it's issued, because the vast majority of abortions happen prior to the time that everybody's talking about, you know, like 10, 15, 20 weeks, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to establish the weeks at, and we know that the Supreme Court is not going to restore the protection of life, okay? Mm-hmm. They're going to f- finagle a way of reversing Roe v. Wade, but even before Roe v. Wade, we had 580,000 abortions the year before. Mm. Abortion will be a constant in the history of man because man is sinful. So even if you get the greatest reform in the last how many years in our country, it appears it's coming down the pike. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've been waiting for this forever. What we have to do is restore the preaching of God's word in the pulpit. Because what goes on in the pulpit is what forms the character of a nation. Okay? It's just so clear. And so if we will begin, again, to have pastors who actually love their sheep Mm. and rebuke them and admonish them and correct them and preach to the conscience. You know, I remember Ian Murray lamenting the condition of the pulpit in the Western world when we'd go to conferences, Banner of Truth and stuff, and he would say, every man is just giving a lecture. Mm dispensing information. And so if the authority of the man of God in the pulpit preaching to the flock and the authority of the elders protecting the flock, if that's not restored, it doesn't matter what we do on the government level. It's very interesting because what you're pointing to there is the local congregation, Mm -hmm. the household of faith, not speaking generally of the universal church, but really Mm -hmm. a particular church. And so you've brought it down to a to pretty local local level mm-hmm. there. Hmm. A reform and recovery of authority has to start at the lowest level possible. Mm-hmm. You do not bypass fathers of households, pastors and elders, Titus II women, 
and have any substantive change when it comes to authority. Mm-hmm. Because authority is local. If you don't teach your children to submit to authority, they're going to be a pain in the rear in Sunday school. You know, you're, you're laser focused on people. You're not really thinking about, like a communist would, society, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're not actually as worried, or, or you would say that society generally will only change when the, the people change, when there's a reformation with yeah, we the people. We see that at the time of the reformation. We see that in the Roman Empire. Mm. The Roman Empire was completely reformed. I mean, I'm not going to say that it was a Christian, but my point is you watch over the centuries and you just see the influence of Christians. Well, where did that come from? Well, it was the influence of the Apostle Paul, at least among the pagans, not the Jews. You know, you had this one idiot dude who's going around getting shipwrecked and beaten and stoned, and and he's just preaching, just preaching. Mm -hmm. We have a tendency to denigrate the power of the gospel and the power of preaching. And we think, well, that's not how real change is. I mean, that's important, but that's not how real change does. But no, it is how real change happens. How will they hear unless somebody, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel and the law? But then how does that help restore authority? Well, let's look at the Southern Baptist Convention in this report right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Imagine if instead of them hiring some outside consultant and being pressured to do it by the messengers at one of the conventions, imagine if a president had gotten the faith to blow the system up. Mm-hmm. Imagine how much more that would have done for the authority in the SBC if somebody that God set up like King Joab. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? In other words, when you have a man or a woman like Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, yeah, yeah. when you have people who stand up like Ronald Reagan, tear down this wall. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. it has a galvanizing effect precisely because it is one person ready to fall on their sword for the sake of the sheep. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. as opposed to Stalin, who requires all the sheep to fall on their swords, and it, it will be a sword he's put them on. Yeah, for him, to, for him alone, mm-hmm. for him alone, including all of his army, all the NKVD, the KGB. You know, he wiped out 90% of his officers because he had a cult of Joe Stalin. Mm. And he sold it to people that that was what was necessary for the well-being of the country in food and products and stability internationally and all this stuff. So what I'm trying to say is that God has made fathers in a marriage, husbands. He's made fathers and mothers in a home. He's made pastors and elders. He's made kings, presidents, rulers. And when a man or a woman sacrifices her reputation, her life, you know, it says in the text we were studying Sunday, it says that Priscilla and Aquila put their own necks online for the mm-hmm. Apostle Paul. And then he says, and all the churches. Uh, 
are thankful for them. And so the commentators all say, well, of course they were. Now, it says all of the Gentile churches. Hmm. Well, of course they were, because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was constantly putting his life on the line. Then good people were putting their lives on the line for his life on the line. That's how reform works. And when that reform is carried out, it builds trust for authority. Yeah, that's right. I mean, everything you're saying there authority goes to the people that are willing to sacrifice themselves. And, and I know that people about COVID would say, well, that's what we were doing. We were standing up against the tyranny of the government, of mm-hmm. the health commissioners, mm-hmm. of all this other stuff. But you were doing it over the convenience of whether or not you wear a mask. And they say, it's not a matter of convenience, it's theological. You know. Well, somehow... The interests of all the working stiffs who have no Christian faith mm. just serendipitously managed to merge with all of these brave pastors calling for everybody to join together and question the election, march on Washington, refuse to wear masks, all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, when has godly reform ever been perfectly coterminous with whatever this or that side of a political movement is. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to, again, go back and say, as pastors, who are we responsible for? We're responsible for our sheep first. It doesn't mean not those outside the church. What are we responsible for? We're responsible to preach the law and the gospel. Mm -hmm. They repent they believe then we're responsible to protect them we're responsible to not flatter them we're responsible to not live off of their wealth so that they become poor while we become rich they're responsible we're responsible as pastors to sacrifice ourselves that's what the apostle paul said Mm -hmm. i didn't hold back from you any of what god said and you look at the church today and pastors are using their sheep for their own sexual lust, Mm -hmm. they're committing adultery, they're hiding sexual abuse, they do not preach the law, they do not discipline, and they're hipsters. They're perfectly light in their being. Cheap, yeah. They're cheap. Mm -hmm. And it's just wrong. And while they're doing all that, they also undercut authority. Mm-hmm. You know, inevitably, the guys that have no authority in the pulpit are also the guys that tell women they shouldn't submit to their husbands because their husbands are abusers, and mm-hmm. you shouldn't listen to the government because the government's tyr- tyranny. And a good, good, godly husband, father, and pastor, an elder, is going to always be trying to restore your trust mm-hmm. in authority. I think that point is very critical. A good pastor is always trying to, or a good husband is trying to restore your trust in authority. You just mentioned fathers and pastors or husbands mm-hmm. and pastors. Right, yeah. But it's also true of leaders in government mm-hmm. and even in local government and beyond. It's true that they create trust in authority. I mean, I can just imagine people listening to this, you guys. I mean, they're going to think we're insane. Yeah, and I think, again, the charge is going to be, how can you guys be Protestant if you're so big on authority? (laughs) You know, I I think you cannot get away from this reality that there is always authority. There's always authority. God is 
the source of authority. He is authority. It's like we think that we can get away from it somehow. You know, I was just remembering Chuck Colson at a lecture at Wheaton saying that the reason he wasn't a pacifist was that he believed in life. Hmm. And because he believed in life, he believed in it so much that he was willing to kill to protect it and to die protecting it. Let's get back to authority. Yeah. I believe, we believe in authority so much that we are willing to kill authority so that it can be reborn in some way resembling the authority of God the Father Almighty. Hmm. Or that it can be protected so that we can we'll kill uh, horrific examples of authority so that true examples can exist and have space to live. And you don't mean kill. Not not physically. But, but yeah, Opposed. I mean, it is that intense, yeah. the you, conflict. You know, I keep it, thinking about this question of why we would have a pitchfork rebellion against masks. And what is it? What is it at the essence of that? Why? I, I think we've been dancing around this now for two years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what's at the essence of what they were, what they were actually doing. And I think the, the uh, the pitchfork rebellion is a good way. It's like saying, "Well, no, it's no. We're not. There isn't going to be authority because in order to, in order coming at mass, you're coming at something that's so local, and you're you're coming at everything just broadly. It's like a blunderbuss, and I think that's maybe what the pitchfork rebellion was. We're gonna we're gonna blow off against everybody. We're gonna pull the trigger on everybody, the church, the government." We're pulling the trigger on everybody. Mm -hmm. Every man for himself. We're yeah. pulling the trigger on everybody. And it's like, and they got a crowd together. <laughs> yeah. And they had a leader. Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then <clears throat> it fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Meet and the, I think, meet the new boss. Same yeah, as the yeah. old boss. <laughs> and I think that's what we all think intuitively about this present oh, day pitchfork rebellion against, yeah. against mask is hey we aren't going to submit to them we're not submitting to anybody and we got a crowd together yeah and lo yeah. and behold we got a leader yeah how about that and lo and behold we've got people moving uh, in droves right. to where we are so that you know it's <laughs> it's like rivendell we're going to have rivendell uh, here and and you know waterfalls and light and elven songs all day long <laughs> but you know i think that those guys and those women don't realize that we have precisely the same opposition to the yeah. tyranny of government. Mm -hmm. Yes. We have been saying this for decades. Yeah. It's, and they have to put us in a category of people that don't really understand how bad government is. Yeah. They have to do that. So this point was made earlier as well. And I just keep thinking about this as, as you're talking, Pastor Max, uh, about how stupid the sheep and we are about this because you know it's, it's occurring to me that this battle this conflict this tension between submission and authority and reformation i mean it's all through scripture what why am i act why do i feel the need to be defensive about the reformation i mean that's so stupid why would i be defensive about that jesus had to reform the church right and and we read it earlier. Uh, he said, "Don't 
you know, honor honor the, those who sit in the seat of Moses. Who seated? Who themselves. seated themselves? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, and and do what they say, but not what they do. And so, why would I feel defensive about the need for reformation? Why would I be surprised about the need for reformation? The need for reformation in no way invalidates the value the goodness of authority and the need to submit to authority. I think that's what I want to say. I want to tell a little story. Those of us in this room and a number of us were involved a number of years ago, found out about sexual abuse, homosexual sexual abuse of young men in a very, very influential, famous church. And you know, at first you're just horrified. Then you realize that the leaders of the church have covered it up for years, for a decade. Mm. And then you realize that there are real famous leaders involved who have done the covering up. Mm. And then you find out the details. All this is firsthand. You, you, you investigate it. You know it from firsthand from the victims themselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, then you're faced with what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And so it's very typical. At one point I said to one of the victims, I said, you know, I'm not offended that that man did such and such to you as much as I am that the senior minister, when he found out, mm. did not discipline that man mm -hmm. and covered it up. Yeah. Well, Everybody would laugh if they knew the actual circumstances, to, or not laugh, but be horrified that I said, I'm not as offended about what happened to you as I am the fact that the shepherd did not protect you and that man. Okay, mm -hmm. now, what do you do? Do you go online and do you write it up? Mm -hmm. Do you leak it through one of the gossips on the internet? Mm -hmm. Do you get World Magazine to write an article and trust me, <laughs> the New York Times would have written this one up, mm -hmm. okay, because of how famous everybody was. Mm -hmm. And no, you don't do that. Why do you not do that? Because it destroys authority. Because generally. it destroys authority. Mm -hmm. Do you really need to create scandal across the country in order to to reform that church and the individuals. But here, but listeners should understand very clearly that it's not that you didn't, or we, or whoever was involved didn't didn't deal with the situation. No, 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 no. Yeah. Immediately yeah. we dealt with the situation. Uh, as a matter of fact, we went into the session meeting with what, the 35, 45 elders with an attorney who was very good at prosecuting sexual abuse lawsuits in the civil mm -hmm. courts and winning huge, who himself was a Presbyterian, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. We, uh, we carried a big stick, but the biggest part of the stick was from the very beginning, we said to them, now listen, our goal is not for this to be known. Mm. Our goal is for you to confess that you failed to protect the victims. And for your presbytery to find out about this in such a way that everybody learns the lesson that we must not cover up sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. What happened was that there were public confessions. It took wrestling for about, a, what, a year and a half, I'd say? 
Yeah, and and why do we have to learn that lesson that we must not co- cover up sexual abuse? Because I don't think you want to limit it to sexual abuse. No, you no. say we must not cover up. Well, why do we think we have to cover up? Well, because we think that the institution is going to be hurt if the holy thing is done. In other yeah, words, we always it, think that doing what is right will harm hmm. the larger purpose that is so glorious. Yeah, and yeah but I think in some part we're all we are all in danger of this because you mm. said earlier that it wasn't you. You made the comment that I I wasn't so much upset about the fact that that it happened. Well, I was horrible. Well, upset. of course you were. You were upset. I can't remember your exact well, words. Well, my words at the time were the poor you'll always have with you. That's and the thing so, I'm trying to say. Yeah, and okay, so what I said to the, the victims is the predators sexually you're always going to have with you. I think that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to get at is that uh, by the cover-up, all this kind of stuff is we, we all conspire together to pretend that these things aren't real. These things, sin isn't, you know, it's just. Or not as bad. It's not as bad as mm-hmm. we think or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I saw an article today about a church in Northern Indiana where the pastor confessed to having an affair for years and started with the woman was 16 years old. But what was the horrible thing? He confessed it in front of the church. I'm not opposed to him confessing in front of the church, but after he got done, do you know what the church did? They gave him a standing ovation. Hmm. <laughs> And I thought, this was just on Fox News. He it pointed was on it out Fox News, and I'm I was just like, so like I wanted, to, I wanted to throw up. Yeah, it's really terrible because it's like, what? Where are we? You know, I just read, I just finished reading a book on predators, men preying against other people and children in particular, and that was one of the things that this author was pointing out is that there is there is just this author i think wouldn't have been surprised at all about a standing ovation after such a confession because it's like this world of ignoring or denying well the predator in everyone else and evil in ourselves Mm -hmm. and so we live in in la la land yeah well what's going on there is catharsis Mm -hmm. yes everybody lives for catharsis today not forgiveness and so if they were cheering him and giving him a standing ovation, it was because he had presented such a wonderful example of a man confessing his sins in such a way that it ends up affirming everybody's ability to confess their sins. But it has nothing to do with God. There's no right, shame. Right, right. And it's horrible. It's really horrible. Because if you ever have sat And I want to make it very clear, women and girls are sexual predators too. Yeah, We're talking about men, but some of the most awful situations we've dealt with here have to do with women and mothers, okay? If you sit and listen and and really bring yourself to understand what's going on with men and women who have been abused when they're young, you can't possibly give a standing ovation to somebody that's been a predator as a pastor Mm -hmm. to a 16 year old woman the damage he's done to her is Mm -hmm. horrific and so all i think is yeah everybody's determined to not fear god and to not think a judgment's coming and if the pastor just flippantly and if you you were committed to fearing god and were committed to the reality that a judgment is coming you wouldn't be surprised by the regular uh 
encounters that we have in this world with the sins of ourselves and other people around us. Yeah. And then you would be able to faithfully and honestly deal with them. Back to what you said about Calvin and the and the group of pastors confessing their sins. Yeah, they had and, one pastor and, in this company of pastors who they found out that he had patted his servant girl in his home on her bottom. They rebuked him for patting her on her bottom. I don't know what else to say about that other than to me, that's godliness. Mm -hmm. It is not a surprise that a pastor patted his servant girl on the bottom. Can we all lower ourselves to admit that, <laughs> that maybe that could happen? All of us could do that. Yeah. You know, well, pat her on the bottom, you know? Right. There was not more with this Calvin guy. In other words, they knew what was going on. and it, mm -hmm. it, it, But it's the confrontation of the patting on the bottom, these little things mm -hmm. that protect children from being raped. Mm -hmm. So the reason we've sort of swerved off into what feels like a tangent, but really isn't, we, we've swerved off into talking about sexual abuse cases. And the reason we've done that is because they're so much at the center of and the, the crisis. SBC right now. Well, it's, it's the SBC, but I mean, you've got the Roman Catholic Church and you've got churches. Sovereign Grace. Sovereign Grace. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. It's part of the crisis of authority. Bill Gothard. And, and part Will, of what we're Willow doing. Creek. <laughs> Part of what we're doing here is is trying to tell everyone who's listening, look, Jimmy Swagger. We see this very clearly. We've been looking at it for a long time and been some of us have been in the thick of it. Um Gordon McDonald. <laughs> um Intervarsity. Yes, yes. So where I want to end today is we see it very clearly and yet we believe in authority and we believe that authority needs to be restored. And so maybe it puts a fine point on it to, as we end today to ask the question, okay, how do you restore authority to someone who has been sexually abused? Because everything in them wants to reject authority from that point, right? I mean, isn't that something we as pastors see happens when someone's been abused? It's like, I want to have nothing to do with men. I want to have nothing to do with pastors. I want to have nothing to do with authority generally. So how do you help somebody who has suffered in that way to not just tolerate authority, but to see its goodness and to love it? One thing that has to be done is there has to be some restoration of faithfulness, protection, real protection, mm. real acknowledgement of what's going on. Not a clear declaration and a clear position, a stance of, well, yes, horrible, wicked, that was wrong. Mm. I'm sorry. You look at somebody who's been hurt in that way and, and damaged in that way, and you say, oh, that's yeah. horrible. And you're, you're really looking at it and identifying what it is. Go ahead. Well, me. in other words, what I'm hearing you say is there can't be any thought. We've, we've brought up already this idea that we feel like we can't do that because we need to protect the institution or protect the man or something. But you're saying that's just as all got to die. Well, this and, is and truth has this, to be this secular lady that writes about the, the, the predators, mm -hmm. the, her, her observation is that everybody's response, the last person and the last person in, in any of the scenarios that ever gets looked at or ever gets, uh, identified with, protected, or had any any thoughts toward their good mm -hmm. is the victim. 
it all it's just it's like inevitable no matter where where it happens the victim is the last person that anybody ever thinks about mm. and you could think that one one easy first step is hey here's an idea let's start with thinking about the victim yeah well that starts let's, with let's you know what i'm saying and it, it also includes dealing rightly with the perpetrator mm-hmm. because that in that is also thinking about the victim right mm-hmm. but if you're not going to actually think about the victim if you do think about the victim i think it becomes painfully clear to them that you're thinking about them painfully clear to the victim. the victim yeah that you if you're actually if you're actually engaging with them in such a way that you're actually taking care of them taking mm-hmm. care of them spiritually yeah physically emotionally yeah helping them to find their way back you know i i liken it to falling into a uh, in big farms they have these giant manure pits yeah and these people have fallen into the manure pit Mm. and somebody has to go in there wade in there there and pull them out Mm -hmm. help them come out and then you know we say that the women of the church get around them and they kind of wash what's your what's your point what's the value what are you trying to say with that well they're lost they're floundering Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're 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 in uh they're corrupted yeah by what's happened to them like you would be corrupted if you fell into a manure pit. I mean, it's much worse than that. It's mm-hmm. much, much worse than that. And so they're 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 so corrupted, and they have to be rescued out somehow, and then they have to be carefully tended and washed and cared for. You mm-hmm. know, I almost want to say that you're asking the wrong question. We cannot restore authority. We cannot do that. Mm, okay. What we must instead focus on is our responsibility. And therefore being Mm. being an authority. And then we must look at the degree to which we and everyone around us hates authority. And then we must keep that in mind as we exercise responsibility. (laughs) In other words, if our goal is to restore authority, Mm -hmm. we're not going to do it. But if we love the sheep and our children and our wives and our fathers and do everything we can to put our lives on the line and our reputations to protect them from devil and from all the hordes, the teeming hordes trying to destroy them through the media, through movies, and we're always speaking into their lives. But we do that. You know, I tell the pastor, the elders and pastors in, in elders meetings where we've got a real difficult case. Yep. I say to them, now listen, our temptation is going to make this decision with one eye towards the vulnerability to litigation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We must not make this decision based on our vulnerability to litigation. We must make it based on what we, by faith, know God wants us to do. Mm-hmm. But if we make this decision in the proper way, without considering the fact that we're likely to be to, to be sued, the, sued yeah. then we're fools. Yeah. And so I think what we should say is how do we restore responsibility being taken by the leaders of Christ's church and the leaders of a home mm. without allowing the hatred for authority to subvert the work of responsibility? Mm. That's a better way of doing it because you can be motivated 
to take responsibility for people who are vulnerable and weak and have been abused and all these people, you can love them. You can see in them that Christ died for them, that you want to protect those for whom Christ gave his, shed his blood. Mm -hmm. You know, all those things are motivating. What's never motivating is I want to protect authority and restore authority, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, just shoot me. Yeah. Well, and it's so often just a play to build your own kingdom. Yeah. And and the fact is what I've seen, and we've all seen this, is when you're willing to be a fool hmm. for Christ and for his lambs and his ewes and his rams, when you're willing to be inconvenienced, when you're willing to say the hard thing to somebody that doesn't want to hear it, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. just do this stuff over and over and over again. Plot along. Or claw is yeah, the word yeah. Max uses. Yeah. And when you do it from the pulpit, and then Baxter says, and then do it in person. Yep. There will be those who hate you, and they will hate your guts, and they will lie about you to their dying day. Mm-hmm. But God's people, generally, we have seen, I think, they love you, and you have unbelievable authority with them that you then try to, you know, I had a woman come up to me, I'm leaving, I'm retiring soon, right? She comes up to me after I get done preaching before anybody else is out by the door, and She's crying mm. and telling me, I love you. You know, she can't bear the thought that I'm leaving. You yeah, know? Yeah. And you know what I did is I looked at her and I said, and, and by the way, if people knew the circumstances in this thing, <laughs> they, they know why she loves us, yeah, right? right? And I looked at her and I said, you love your husband. Mm. Well, she kind of pooched up her lip a little bit hurt by me <laughs> yeah, saying yeah. that. And she said, I do. Yeah. Well, yeah. what was my point? Yeah. My point wasn't that she doesn't love her husband. Yeah. But you know, then she said to me, and I'm so thankful for the work you did with him. He's such a good husband. I mean, in other words, what I'm trying to say is if we just do on some level the bare minimum mm. of protecting the sheep mm-hmm. from themselves, from others, teaching them, feeding them, diapering them, cleaning them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the authority will follow. Yeah. Because people are not going to be on guard against us, and then we'll have to guard ourselves against yeah. abusing our authority. That's right. And that's why I said to her, you love your husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, do you get that? I get it. Yep. Yep. I love the way that Tim ended the conversation. Don't worry about restoring authority. Just start taking responsibility for others. And it's true. If you do that well, with love and humility, authority will be restored to the glory of God. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash outofourminds. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.